1: all these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored
2: welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks where we discuss all the books and comics from the star trek universe i'm just one of your hosts dan gunther and joining me as he does every week whether we want him to or not i'm just kidding we want him to <laughs> we love him he's bruce gibson bruce How's it going today? No,
0: no, no. That's all. That's it. I'm out of here. I can tell when I'm not (laughs) wanted. I'll just pack up my Star Trek books and my comics and head out. That's all good. There's no
2: way I can do this alone, dude.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Me either. We need each other. (laughs) And we're going to do something new this time in the future, something a little different right yeah
2: that's right absolutely so we're going
0: so we had a call with our patrons of patreon we did a round table for july and it was about star trek books and comics and one of the things we asked them is about spoilers cuz you know when we do the features we go like right, right into the book as if everybody's read it we we approached it this time we're we're going to go into this with a spoiler free part when you go into the feature it'll be spoiler free for for however long, but then we'll give you a notice that we're going to the spoilers. So if you haven't read the book and you want to know a little bit about it, you'll get to hear some things up front before we get into the spoilers. So it gives you a little more opportunity to decide if it's something you want to read or just learn about some things about the book before you dive in. Then you can come back later and listen to the spoilers.
2: Definitely, yeah. And so that was that was one of the suggestions from the Patreon Roundtable. Thanks, you guys, for sharing your opinions about that. I'm I'm glad we can you know, make the podcast a little bit more accessible, a little bit more uh, meaningful to everyone, not just people who are always keeping up on the books um, up to date as soon as the episode's out. So thanks so much for that.
0: Yeah. And we have Una McCormick on. Uh, She's going to talk about Enigma Tales and that's the feature. So I'm really excited about that.
2: So excited about that. Love Una. Spoiler alert, love this book. So (laughs) really excited to talk to her about that. Not a lot in the news this week. Uh, We do have one news item, which was uh, kind of a companion piece to Dayton Ward's new Klingon Empire travel guide. Uh, He was soliciting answers on Facebook to the question, you know, what are some common off-world questions that... Klingons might be really sick of hearing tourists say to them when, when they're on Kronos. So he, uh, inside Editions, along with Dayton Ward has put together a little article, uh, highlighting the seven common off-worlder questions that Klingons are tired of hearing. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. It's a lot of fun to read through that. It's a nice little companion piece. Like I say to the travel guide, uh, just as an example, some of the questions, um, is there anything on your menu that doesn't move? is one that just Klingons are sick of hearing. And uh my favorite of course is is today a good day to die? <laughs> <laughs> so if you're visiting the Klingon homeworld or anywhere in the Klingon Empire, just you know, give those guys a break. Don't ask those questions. Make sure, you know, forewarned is forearmed. Make sure read this know what questions you just probably shouldn't be asking when you're in the Klingon Empire. I
0: don't know if I want to go visit there because I have to be very careful what I say. I feel like, you know, because if you really tick off a Klingon, things aren't looking <laughs> good for you, you know? Like, the I like yeah. the one question Don't ask is, uh, didn't Klingons used to look more like humans? And I can't, I keep thinking. <laughs> touchy subject, yeah, touchy I subject. I keep thinking dude. of uh Trials and Tribulations where, you know, Worf is like, you know,
2: uh, wait, <laughs> we do not discuss it without. Yes, we don't discuss it with <laughs> outsiders. <laughs> so if you if you don't want to be cleaved in twain by a bat by a bat left, you know, maybe steer clear of these questions for sure. So yes, and so fun stuff. There.
0: Uh, this did come out on July 11th. So if you haven't picked up your travel guide, do it now before the summer's over.
2: Yep, absolutely. You'll want to do all that last-minute planning for a Klingon Empire trip, for sure. Well, that's all uh, that I've gotten news, Bruce. So what do you say we meet everyone on the other side of the page and uh, talk to Una McCormick about Enigma Tales? So today we have a very special guest. We're very excited to be talking about the new Deep Space Nine novel, Enigma Tales, by author Una McCormick. And Bruce, we've got Una here to talk with us about it. So, well, that's Una, convenient. welcome. Yeah, hi. Thank Anna.
1: you very much. Hi. It's very, very nice to be here.
2: Yeah. Excellent. Well, always, always happy to have you on the show and especially always happy to have you on to talk about another one of your, if I may say, brilliant Garrick novels. I
1: definitely say that. Say <laughs> that as many times as you like.
2: <laughs> Excellent. So what's with you and Garrick? You, you guys seem to hang out a lot
0: together.
1: I don't know what happens. He, do you know he he tapped on my skull sometime in uh, 1999, and that was it. I've I've not sh- I've not been able to shake him off. And of course, he's not the kind of person you can evade very easily. He's sort of uh, wherever you hide, he's going to find you. So <laughs> I don't know. Something about his voice just spoke to me, and it and it hasn't let up. And he he goes off for a few years at a time, and then uh, then he'll sort of waltz back in and go. Now what you know? Where were we? Let's pick up again. And you go, oh my God! All right,
2: <laughs>
1: okay, let's let's prepare to be terrified again. So, um, yeah, I've no idea. Um, his vocabulary is much better than mine. It's very interesting. He uses words that I, I go, I didn't know that word, <laughs> <laughs> but it's somewhere in the subconscious. And uh, and Garrick manages to. Uh, rummage it out he's very good at that so I when
0: think. you're writing garrick words are coming out that you're typing that you don't even know because
1: it... occasionally that's happened i've gone do i know that word and then i've kind of looked it up and gone oh yes it does mean what what garrick meant <laughs> so not very often <laughs> but it's happened every so i mean my, my, vocabulary, my vocabulary is not too bad but um, his, his is slightly better i think but uh, also he's you know well he's got the aid of a universal translator so uh, <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, we're doing something a little bit different with this episode. We're trying something new. The first half of our discussion, we're going to try and keep it as spoiler-free as possible. And then and then what we're going to do is kind of have a little bit of a warning for our listeners when we get into the, the more, more spoilery bits of this novel. So to start with, why don't you just give us a kind of a quick rundown of what... Uh, what what the story is in this novel where do we find our characters and what's kind of going on in enigma tales uh without really you know spoiling the ending yet we will get there but (laughs)
1: i'm i'm going to assume that people have i'm 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 going to assume that people have read my previous book which is the crimson shadow because that's that's three or four years old now but um where that ends is with garrick uh becoming uh castellan of um uh the cardassian union which is basically he's just been elected president So it's a little bit like um, Putin becoming, or implausibly becoming head of state of Russia or something. Um, So uh, this is where we are at the end of The Crimson Shadow. We've got this uh, very dubious character. Garrick has a very dubious past, has always lived in the shadows, uh, becoming head of state. And what I wanted to do in Enigma Tales was pick up a little while after and see just how that was working out for Garrick. He sort of strikes a, a, a promise. He makes a promise to himself. He makes a promise to his ghosts in uh, Crimson Shadow that he's he's not going to kill anyone. He's going to try and live um, within the checks and balances, live within the law. So this is part of what Enigma Tales does. Um, Enigma Tales, people may or may not remember, are a, um, a sort of genre of Cardassian literature. They're a kind of um, crime novel. Uh but this being Cardassia, everybody is guilty. The kind of puzzle is working out how people are guilty. We assume everyone is guilty. So the chief theme of Enigma Tales is the nature of guilt. Uh, there's a lot of that sloshing around on Cardassia um, because of their past and their past on Bajor and their treatment of their own people. So that was partly what I wanted to explore: was we've had a we've had a nation or a society that's uh, got a very checkered, very bloodied past, then has a comeuppance and then i wanted to come back to that nation a little while later and go well how's it going for you guys have you have you really sat down and worked on this we have a historical counterpart here in europe germany obviously has handled its history magnificently i think you know we we joke about angela, angela merkel being leader of the free world these days but you know there's a there's something true about that germany has looked at its past and promised that's never going to happen again and and seriously dealt with that as a culture and a society, and that's the kind of thing I wanted to explore in with Cardassia and in Enigma Tales. So the nature of guilt and um, who is not guilty in a guilty society, I guess, were the things I wanted to to look at through the medium of a Star Trek novel. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> so is that? I, I hope that's spoiler sufficiently. spoiler free. It's a murder mystery set in a uni- university. Is the other the other tagline? <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yeah. No, that that's excellent. Well, in Enigma Tales, we do uh, talk about and, and deal with a lot of different characters, um, some of whom we know from Deep Space Nine, of course, Garrick being uh, chief among them. Uh, Dr. Pulaski, of course, from TNG. We've, we've got her coming back after uh, you kind of brought her back in the missing and now now we get her back here, which was, was a lot of fun. I thought you captured her voice very, very well.
1: Good. Thank you.
2: <laughs> and um, Natima Lang, who I have always thought is a very fascinating character. I love the episode Profit and Loss and her role in that. And I always wanted to know more about her. Um, I was kind of wondering, how did you decide that she would be kind of a central character in this novel?
1: Um, well, I'd, I'd written a novel previously called *The Neverending Sacrifice*, in which she she features, and that's about Cardassia um, before uh, it, it it sort of gets burnt down and, and destroyed. And she was one of the figures that I I posited as a sort of. Um, I think we're given this textually in the program. She's a she's a great hope of Cardassian democracy. Uh, now she's one of these lucky Cardassians who isn't in Cardassia when the Jem'Hadar pretty much kill everyone. Um, so I thought, well, okay, uh, someone like that is going to come back. She's been in exile somewhere. She's going to come back and try to pick up where she was insofar as you could. Um, but she's she's one of the really guiltless people. she's She's striven to um, she's been very brave under a totalitarian regime. She's uh, you know, uh, run an underground railway to get people out into freedom. And I wanted to come back to this person and, and part of my central theme and part of what happens in the, in the book is uh, you've got someone that Cardassians look to to go, look, here's the living proof that we're not all bastards. Um, and part of what I want to do in this book is say, well, was everybody um, free of that taint? And she was a very useful figure to do that. So I had someone who was, what's nice with a character like Natima Lang is that you've, you've got her in the show, so you've got a very strong visual image and perhaps a voice that you can take. Um, but apart from that, you've got quite a blank canvas, so you can you can put a character of your own there, but with enough hooks that the reader can go, I know immediately what this person looks like and and who they are. I've never quite got the relationship with Quark to work. I'm not entirely <laughs> convinced about that, but um, maybe maybe one day, you know, we all we all have our um, we all have our moments, don't we? So uh, at some point, I'll get that relationship with Quark to work. So that was that was what Link Lang was. She was a she was a very convenient figure. Um, through which I could uh, explore some of the themes of the book and quite a, a combination of a few details and a blank slate that I could kind of steal, basically. So, uh, yeah, she was she was great to, work, to write about.
0: Well, yeah, this is a murder mystery, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you mentioned Quark. You could write, write a romantic novel now. Including course,
1: yes. <laughs> maybe I could have Pulaski in as the matchmaker or something. That would be. <laughs> I always, I always feel like Pulaski. I, I, I know everyone. Why do you it's love Pulaski?
0: Funny. There's something about Pulaski. I can tell you're right, you right now. Yes,
1: she's absolutely hilarious. I, I remember watching Next Gen, and um, you know, Kr- Crusher's there in the first season. I, I absolutely adore uh, Crusher as well, and um, I love Gates McFadden. I've seen her at conventions. She's an amazing woman. Um, But Pulaski came on screen. I just thought she was funny. I thought she was a hoot. She was kind of a bit, she's a bit like I'd be. She's a bit kind of cross about things. She's a bit, uh, you know, she's a bit cutting all the time. She only puts her foot in it. Uh, I just think she's great. She's a hoot. You don't often see female characters like that. Um, So Pulaski is sort of, if if Garrick is the means by which I uh, indulge my baser instincts, uh, she's the means by which I get to be very badly behaved in public. So, <laughs> that's the pleasure of Pulaski. She can just be a bit rude. And yes, at the same time she's um, she's frank, she's honest, she's courageous, she's um uh, she's smart, um, she's she's kindly in many ways. Um, there's there's lots to like about her, but at the same time she takes her prisoners and she takes no nonsense. So I just have a a, a whale of a time. I, I, I think of her as a lead in a screwball comedy from uh, like the, the 20s or 30s. So I imagine her in like the Thin Man or something like that. Um, so there's always is what you were saying about writing a romantic comedy. There's always a little bit of um, the screwball comedy when I'm writing her, um, which I I try to do with Picard uh, to some extent because um, I think they are uh, hilarious. Um, but my my character Peter Alden I sort of have in that in that role the the foil for Pulaski's. Um, shouting and crossness and rudeness. I think she's great. So, um, you know, I I know a lot of people don't agree.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I loved her in this book. I mean, I I do like Pulaski, but I do love her in this book because it's like you said, she can be rude and a little much, but she realizes that. And she says, well, you know, yeah. that's the package you yeah. get. That's who I am. You just, you know, yeah. take it for what it is. I, I know who I am.
1: Yeah. <laughs> if you don't want me to say something stupid on, on national television, don't put me on national television, I guess. <laughs> sort of. So, she, yeah, she knows her limitations. She knows what she's good at. I think she, what I've tried to do in this book and the previous book where I, I use her, she surrounds herself with good people who will tell her she's going too far. But at the same time, admire her courage, her tenacity, her her smarts as well. She's very, very clever and works very hard. Um, so I, th- I think these are all admirable qualities. I, I wonder how much I'd enjoy her company. Um, probably quite a lot. Um, maybe for just you know, you go out for dinner once a month or something and, and have a laugh, and then go, oh thank goodness we don't see her again for another four weeks or whatever. But yeah, I, I I think she's great fun. She's one of these grand dames, isn't she? So. Uh, it's great to write.
0: And then she has Peter Alden, her colleague, there to help balance yeah. things. Like you're saying, he's the more grounded character. Is that why you built him around her? or?
1: Yeah, he was he was an interesting experience. A, a while ago, after the um, Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films came out, I, I got really sort of um, sideswiped by them, and I spent far too much time writing Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Lord of the Rings very well. If you know the movies or you know the book. There's a character called Faramir, and I, I wrote a lot of fan fiction about him and he's very, he's, he's like the virtuous heart, one of the virtuous hearts of Lord of the Rings, him and Sam and a couple of other characters. And I thought it'd be really interesting to take a, a character like that and put him in a more conflicted setting. So you take him out of a high fantasy setting, which is quite, you know, you can, you, people's motives can always be pure and their actions can always be pure. Uh, let's, let's stick him in the middle of a science fiction novel, which is much more realist and say, okay, well, you're quite cerebral, you're quite calculating, you're quite intelligent, you'd probably end up a spy. Spy's hands are, are always a bit dirty. So let's see how a character like that who's caught between a quite um, uh, uh, pure idealism and the reality of the, the task that he's got to do and see what happens to him. Uh, and in the book I've, I've created him, he, he kind of cracks. Uh, and he cracks so much that he starts doing a PhD with Pulaski. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Relax>. <laughs> excellent um one of the so a lot of these characters of course are from your previous books and previous star trek one character that i if now correct me if i'm wrong i think she's new to this book is amila antok the historian and the expert on the bajoran occupation and she's i believe a quarter bajoran am i correct about that
1: uh yes, she's uh Elima Antok is uh her father's mother is a uh Bajoran comfort woman. So she's a uh, she's the granddaughter. She's a she's a quarter quarter Bajoran.
2: Mm.
1: Uh yes, and she's new for this book.
2: I really uh I love that perspective and it, it was something that I never really thought of. You know, the kind you know, we get the story of the comfort women. Uh, through Deep Space Nine, the the Bajoran women that Cardassian soldiers, you know, basically abducted and and you know used with their troops. But I never gave a thought to the offspring of that. And and I mean we got Zial, um, but beyond that, we never really hear anything of that. And I, I thought that was a really fascinating aspect of the story to bring in. Um and I was kind of wondering like what kind of inspirations did you use when creating that character?
1: I think that the things that are coming to mind, I I think there are two things. I I think there's the passing stories that you read about um, uh, from African-American writers who who try to pass as white. Um, And I I just read Nella Larson's book, Passing, which is a a classic novel about this. Uh, I think I'm also thinking about... um, the history of uh, um, British imperialism in India, uh, and when when the British initially arrive, they they marry Indian women, uh, and um, uh, that they, they they the the idea is to sort of create a a colonial caste in a way, the people that you will have as the the masters of the of the on the ground, who are part indigenous but part part British. Um, and then uh, it all gets bound up in extreme racism, and uh, there's no intermarriage, and um, you know there's colour bars and so forth. But there's still uh, 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 quite a distinct, very small but very distinct Anglo-Indian community in India who are descended from both, you know, the the, the imperialists and and women who were there. Um, and I think I was thinking of them. So all of these things are to do. Uh, one of the themes of my all of my books is to do with imperialism and how that affects. Uh, everybody there, there are always these little side stories of, of odd experience and where, where I, I'm sort of very caught up in where your loyalties must lie because um, you, you're always going to feel halfway between both you're going to feel, you're going to love your mother and you're going to love your father, but at the same time one of them will represent a society that's done terrible things to the other's society. and I find those stories very um, moving. Uh, And the difficulty that people must have to come to terms with both parts of their heritage, particularly in a culture that won't allow them to admit um, or display one part of that. So I wanted her to be a figure that was a promise of a kind of healing for Cardassia, that Cardassia would admit that part of its um, reality now was Bajoran um, it had to admit that it was, it's now in its DNA, I guess. Uh, so she was the figure that I wanted there. Um, and Zial's story we get obviously in the, in the, um, in, in the show as well. I think Zial is like, what I wanted for Antok was that she could pass. She could pass as Cardassian that just on the streets, you, you wouldn't go, oh, she's half Bajoran. Uh, whereas with the Zial, you would, I think. And I wanted that with, uh, with Antok. So, um, and then, I, obviously, I'm, I give her this interest in the um, occupation. She's a historian, so it's a a personal and a social history she's exploring. So that I think is where she came from. Um, I think so. Uh, the, uh, it's always very difficult to say you got thing, where you get things from. You you just pull it out of your head, and then you go, oh, probably I read something. Um, I think I was watching an episode of Who Do You Think They Are? Do you get this show over there? It's where they take um, they take famous people and they track down their genealogy. I just watched one about Charles Dance, which is very moving. He, he found he had a half sister he knew nothing about, and a whole family he knew nothing about. Uh, and I think I'd been watching about the Anglo-Indian community through uh, one of those. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I just get everything off the telly. That's <laughs> just consume a lot of television, and then try and turn it into 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 stories. I think.
0: <laughs> well, that's really fascinating. The whole theme of this book, or one of the themes of it, is that whole relationship of Cardassia with Bejor. And it really gets you thinking about where these two societies are with each other, that they're pretty much married to each other. And, it, and it's not just in the relationship of the two worlds, but there are people now that are both Cardassian and Bajoran in some manner. And it really shows that these two worlds cannot stand apart for a while.
1: No, they can't. And it's uh, the, the, the tragedy is that, of course, it's been an abusive relationship. Um, but uh, uh, Bajor is is, is 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 always somehow going to find itself forced back because of these ties of blood that exist, and people who say, well, I'm, I'm part you, I'm part you, and don't make me choose, and, and partly because I think Cardassia makes this decision, at least in my view of Cardassia, makes this decision to genuinely confront what it did in the past, and so it has to. Uh, of course, it's always down to the Bajorans to say, thank you and get lost. You know, <laughs> it's uh, on the part of the people who've suffered, it's always their prerogative to go, thanks very much, this is your problem. Um, uh, but uh, I think Bayshore, once it enters the Federation, is in a strong enough position uh, that it can, uh, um, it's recovered enough. Uh, I think it's prepared to um, to move on. And people are ageing, people are dying, you've got more people who haven't lived under the occupation, it's it's not even memory for them. Uh, so things uh, things change, I think. Or, or they can do.
0: What do you think the younger generation of Cardassia thinks of Bajor?
1: Uh, oh, that's a really interesting question. In intrigued, um, I wonder whether there had been. Uh, so, so in some of my books, I've sort of had a, a Federation mission to Cardassia, and I wonder if some Bajorans were there as as Federation relief workers. So, whether that was an experience of of Bajorans looking out for them and looking after them. Uh, younger people a little ashamed um, maybe some think well I had nothing to do with this uh, uh, I just want to be friends uh, but then maybe feel rebuffed or hurt when Bajorans quite understandably go oh thank you very much but no thanks uh, really complex really interesting issue I think um, I, you'd have to look uh, I, I guess again I'd look at Germany in the 60s maybe to uh, to think about that how would they relate to uh, somebody French or somebody from a country that you, they'd occupied, or to a Jewish person that they met um so that would be the kind of model I'd look for um questioning I hope um and prepared to take a rebuffle, um if not blame, I think cool, this is heavy going, isn't it? <laughs>
2: there's
1: a lot of laughs in this book as well. I want to. it's, it's quite a Oh, funny for book. sure. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we want to get to the meat of things and then we'll lighten it up again. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this might be a good time to kind of get into the spoilery bits of the book. Um, so warning to everyone listening out there, if, uh, if you haven't read this book, what's the matter with you? Go grab it and read it because it, it's terrific. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, spoilers in this book now. So Natima Lang is kind of, uh, she's represents, I think the best of Cardassia, you know, she, she was part of the dissident movement and, uh, you know, opposed, you know, didn't really seem to get her hands dirty and, and wasn't a part of that, but now someone is trying to discredit her and, and smear her reputation. And this part of the story, uh, basically this this project project Enigma that they allege that she had signed off on when she was uh part of a committee at the university um it took supposed allegedly took uh Cardassian Bajoran children and genetically tried to alter them to make them pure Cardassians and 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 reintroduce them into Cardassian society with no knowledge of where they had come from and that sort of thing. And I know you talked about this going to some dark places, but this part of the story really spoke to me. There's a um I'm I'm from Canada and and I'm a Metis. And uh that's uh, part um indigenous, part uh white colonial, you know, ancestry. And something that happened, and it's known in Canada as the 60s scoop. Oh, um,
1: yeah, I can imagine. Yeah.
2: It, yeah. And I just recently was reading a thesis about that brought this up and uh, what happened was they took children, uh, newborn babies from um, Aboriginal and Métis mothers in the hospital and put them in the foster system or, or gave them to white families for adoption, telling, you know, the mothers that their, their child had died or, or, or even just outright telling them you're unfit to care for this child we're taking it. And, um, like just the, the resonance in this book for that part of the story was really, really emotional. And I I was wondering, you know, what kind of real world examples was that something that you had, um, studied? I know, I believe you're, you're, background is sociology is that correct
1: uh yes it is yeah i i think mm. possibly um possibly i was thinking about uh indigenous australians who uh mm. very very uh, similar and uh continues to this day i suspect a uh, um, a really really um a cruel history there so the 60s scoop it's it's the 1960s isn't it uh, yeah yeah as, as late yeah, as that very terrible um yeah. Possibly. I think maybe uh, there's my background is my grandparents were from uh, Ireland and I suspect there were similar experiences as well that kind of Irish children would be would be taken. I don't don't think it's I don't think it's as um, uh, happened as much. Um, But I I think I was thinking chiefly of um, Australia. uh, But I I, it, it doesn't surprise me to hear similar stories in Canada. I think if if I can say that I'm not sure that Canada has necessarily come to terms with this as much as it could do, um, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, there there are things like the the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and that sort of thing. But you know, the more I learn, the the more I hear about these kinds of things that it just aren't in the in the mainstream. A lot of people don't know about this sort of thing, and uh, it, it's very tragic and it's it's sad how prevalent this story is from various places around the world like you said, all
1: around the world i think yeah you would you would uh, australia you would probably find it in uh, certainly in canada probably in india as well i think wherever imperialism or um uh, uh kind of white supremacist imperialism has sort of you know had its hand you're, you're going to find a story like this um and uh, i find these questions of identity very they're just very heart-wrenching like you, you know i you know, telling mothers their kids are dead. Honestly, what what motivates people? It's just bomb, it's crackers, isn't it? What's happening is that comes out of your mouth and you're thinking this is a good thing. Um, and um, I think what science fiction lets me do is um, distance myself from, you know, if I thought too long about the real stories, I, I couldn't, I, it would cut me up too much. I'd be too angry. I'd be too upset. Um, and science fiction, I think, allows you to st- just step one step back, and um, write passionately, but uh, not in a way that will that will damage you or um, will upset you to the extent that you you can't write persuasively. I think if you if you are too angry or there's too of a message in your writing, your reader turns off. So a lot to have a sleight of hand and talk about these things in a way that people don't feel like they're being lectured to, but you still steep your message in. Um, So I I think that's what, that was, what was happening there. Um, Oh, I thought we were getting onto the cheerful bits.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll definitely get there for sure. It
1: really is a really funny
2: book. I really want to (laughs) expand
0: on that. When you say it's a funny book, how would you describe this book real briefly to someone? If they said, what kind of book is it? You said it was a murder mystery, but what makes it fun? What makes it a funny book to you?
1: I, th- I think Pulaski makes it funny, and and uh, and her screwball romance with with Alden, <laughs> which is going to end, who knows <laughs> where well, that's going to end. Uh, I think Garrick's exasperation you should you should find very enjoyable as well. There's a man kind of going, just let me loose on these people, and other people going, well now you remember Garrick, you're not allowed to kill anyone anymore. <laughs> so there's a lot of kind of humour in his uh, in his situation, his frustration with Pulaski as well. So I, I'd like to think that on a line-by-line line level, <laughs> there, were, there was quite a lot of uh, fun in the book. But at the same time, I, I can't stop myself. It's going to be dealing with some of these things that are always praying at the back of my mind. But I'm hoping that people en- enjoy the conversations and uh, enjoy the characters rubbing up against each other and annoying each other. And um, Pulaski's always good fun. I think she just she moves like a force of nature, Uh, and, and I hope that's what it feels like in the book, that there's just somebody coming through wisecracking and being a little bit rude. Uh, and that's funny. So I hope.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was funny. I actually liked it when she was kidnapped and when she realizes that, you know, she's locked up somewhere, she's like, really? Like I'm having such a bad day, you know, I'll just have to deal with it and move on, you know? And then she gets out.
1: We're in the kidnap routine. Yeah. Right. right. Uh,
0: It just comes with Starfleet, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So she's great value, and uh, uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I, I certainly enjoyed writing it. I had a I had a really good fun writing this book, and I think um, hopefully that communicates. I think if you're in a good mood when you write a book, some of that good mood will will communicate itself. I, th- I think there's probably a, a gag on every other page, so uh, so it is fun, folks. <laughs>
2: it it definitely shows that absolutely does come true, uh, come through in this book. I love, in particular, just one thing that leapt on the page off the page at me was uh, any time they had mentioned Jean Luc Picard and his thoughts on Pulaski. Oh, that woman! That
1: bloody woman! <laughs> that bloody bloody woman! And it's uh, Garrick finds himself saying the, the same thing as well. So uh, yeah, he just hears Jean Luc in the background. He's driven to exasperation, um, which um, and I, I, I I'm I I'm sure that she uh, in the back of my mind I. I I am sure that she intended to make Picard a, a Mr. Pulaski, but he, he managed to get away. <laughs> but I, I always have that in the back of my mind, what that marriage would have been like. So, um, yeah, it's great fun. Uh, I, I hope her, I give her a little sidekick as well. Uh, uh, not not Alden, but I give her a kind of Cardassian who's looking after her, who's quite naive. Uh, he's quite young. He's, he's had a tough upbringing, like all Cardassians, but he's quite, you know, he's quite a quiet and gentle type. And he finds himself just whirled along in this madness. Uh, and he loves it, he has the ride of his life, you know, he thinks it's a complete riot. So, you know, you've got a kid that's just come off a roller coaster again, again, again. So he has a great time, I think he grows up a little bit and she gives him a really good racing tip and he, he makes a lot of money on this. so. <laughs> I just said, I don't know if you, uh, if you've ever done a lot of long haul traveling and you, you, you get off a long haul flight, so the first thing you want to do is just sit in the hotel and watch episodes of Law and Order for about nine hours until your <laughs> jet lag goes. And I thought, well, this is what Pulaski will do. She's just got off a long flight. She'll sit there. She'll find, like, the history channel. And then she'll get a bit bored because, you know, that's a bit depressing. So she'll just turn on the racing. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that seemed very Pulaski to me. And, and within about, you know, three Obviously. or four sessions, she'll be one of the, you know, she'll be an expert. She she would sort of sit. after After about three hours, she's so smart that she would be one of the experts, you know, she'd, she'd work out who the hot tips were and this kind of thing. So I, th- I thought that's exactly, uh, uh, exactly what she would do. And then sticking her, uh, in front of a live mic is, is always going to be good. So, uh, yeah. so I love
0: I, how she's telling Cardassians like who to bet on, who's, who's more likely <laughs> to win that she just picks us up within just like a couple days.
2: <laughs> so one, one thing I do have to say about also about the topic of this being a fun novel, I, I made a note of this. Anytime you have a Cardassian character, talking to a Vulcan ambassador and quoting the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> I was just about rolling on the floor about that when he makes his uh, remark about the tea being mostly harmless. <laughs>
1: mostly harmless. It just pops out. I, 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 I have this feeling that once, um, once uh, the Federation arrive on Deep Space Nine, uh, Garrick has got many, many lonely hours to fill, and all he does is read human literature, and he, he kind of starts with Beowulf and, and ends up, uh, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh, so I, I think he's he's probably better read than most uh, most people. Uh, and of course, he would read Douglas Adams. Douglas Adams is going to be, a, a, you know, a, a future classic, already is. There might, some of my students have not heard of him, So uh, which I find oh, of heartbreaking. I know, I can't tragic. bear it. Yeah, and they're <laughs> living in Cambridge as well. It absolutely breaks my heart. So, um so I make them read him. I don't know how much they enjoy it, but they they tell me they do that they do. But then I'm I'm out their essays. <laughs> yeah. So uh, these things just pop out. I think, but Garrett would definitely have read it.
2: Yeah. Any time I hear of a friend who's never read *Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy*, I lend them my copy. So. Exactly.
1: Right <laughs> onto them. Did they enjoy it? Did they tend to enjoy it?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah definitely if they don't they're they're not my friends anymore so that's fine.
1: it that's right. it, was, it was great but goodbye <laughs> quite right
2: so long and thanks for all the fish as it were
1: <laughs> mostly harmless yeah so uh so that's that's what garrick thinks um so yes i think there's there's some fun in um in garrick knowing human literature in uh it back at you as well.
0: Yeah, there is fun in Garrick, and you know we were talking about Pulaski and her relationships with certain characters. Mm-hmm. What about Garrick's relationship with like Parmac and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. these right. Like, Mevet, is that right? The,
1: Mevet, yeah, yeah Mevet. Um, she's uh, she's interesting. She's a sort of quasi daughter, I think. Uh, he he's quite paternal towards her, um, and I think that's partly to do with um, obviously he doesn't have a great father son relationship with his own father. Uh, and I think once he comes to terms with that, it's too late for Garrick to have, not really practical for Garrick to have children of his own, but he, he sort of uh, uh, almost adopts an adult daughter who he's got a, a professional relationship with, but he's, he's part mentor and part paternal towards her um, because he's become invested in the next generation and he's become invested in uh, what kind of people they are. He wants them to be good people. Um, and that's why he gets invested in her, I think. She's quite smart, um, and uh, uh, she's um, she's not afraid of him. Well, she is. She's terrified of him, actually, uh, on, on some level. Everybody's terrified of Garrick on some level, um, but she's not afraid to confront that fear and tell him when she thinks he's going too far, and that's very important for Garrick. Uh,
0: so it works both ways, I think. Do you think, uh, I don't know if Garrick's the right, person right now to lead Cardassia I think I think he's he's done what he needs to do but I think there's the matter of trust and he's got a past and yeah is that kind of what why we're setting up Lang to possibly succeed him
1: uh that's certainly in Garrick's mind I think he knows I don't think he saw himself as more than a one-term um Castellan um maybe two if the, if there were some things he felt if things had moved too slowly and he could He'd he'd hate to lose an election, so he wouldn't run for an election that he thought he would lose. Um, But I I think he felt he'd come in with a very specific job to do, which was to make sure that the the experiment of democracy didn't derail or fall back into totalitarianism, um, authoritarianism. And I I think he's feeling that that's achieved, or very close to uh, being achieved now. Uh, I think he's still got issues of his own personal guilt to, to think through, his own actions. He's never really been held accountable for anything. Cisco bangs him up for six months for, for gen- attempted genocide, which I think is one of the more interesting uh, <laughs> prison sentences I've ever seen. But uh, So he's only ever been six months in jail, and he, he's done some bad stuff. So I think he feels there's a, a, a round of personal atonement. Uh, what that will involve, I don't know.
2: I love that Garrick himself kind of comments on that like he kind of pauses and goes yeah six months oh, okay
1: <laughs> you now I might have given me I don't know life <laughs> so, yeah exactly so it's, it's, it's I, I think it's one of those things where perhaps the uh I, I don't know maybe the writers hadn't quite thought through what Garrick was doing which is in attempt. you know it is genocide it's attempting tries to wipe out a species doesn't he? Um, so, uh, it, it, it's not a nice thing to do, <laughs> probably give him a, I think, I think what he gets punished for is, um, damage to a Federation spaceship, which you might give, you know, criminal damage and not, not genocide. Um, so I always <laughs> thought that was a bit of an odd, an odd sentence, but I, I suspect there's a lot of things in Garrick's past that we still don't know about. Uh, and, uh, maybe he feels he needs to be punished for those.
2: Well, I love that how that kind of feeds into, you know, the structure of the novel itself. You know, we talk about Cardassian enigma tales where the goal isn't to find out who is the guilty party, but to know that everybody's guilty of something. But, you know, what are they all guilty of? And I feel like that's, I mean, very obviously set up as a mirror to Cardassian society right now. You know, everybody has some sort of guilt about the past and, you know, everybody including Garrick, very obviously. And, you know, most of the characters we deal with all have this kind of guilt lingering in their backgrounds. And it's kind of a neat meta examination through the, the literary form and then in the quote unquote real world of the novel itself.
1: And, and I think what I'm hinting at, or what I hope I'm hinting at too is that as time passes, there are more Cardassians being born who, who don't have that guilt. So they can sort of let go start to let go of enigma tales in a way they can start to tell different stories about themselves so i'm hoping uh, i would like to see that happen to Cardassia. um so that that's that's sort of where it's going with that so there might be a you know the big shock would be an enigma tale with uh, lots of people who are innocent <laughs> in it so i think we're not quite sure about um, lang's guilt at the end of the, i think we think it's a sin of omission um at worst um But bureaucracies are funny like that. You sort of, uh, you know, people can not specifically do bad things, but bad things happen because of omission or a failure to act. Um, So I think even Lang, maybe there's just a touch of um, a a taint about her. Um, But much better than Garrick. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. I also have to say, I really love how you set up the, the fact that Garrick is kind of pushing for her to become the next Castellan. And it's one of those things that like when I when I was reading and I realized and it was it was it was the chapter before it's outright stated. But but then it's actually the line where where they're at the memorial. And um, and it, this is when it just exploded in my mind when uh, the novel says later that image would come back to Pulaski again and again. The men dressed in black walking away into darkness, the woman in white moving forward to greet the people gathered. And I was just like, of course. <laughs> and then thinking back, there's like, you know, 50,000 hints all through it. And I, the, the payoff there is just absolutely brilliant. I loved that. I
1: tell you how much that makes my little writer heart sing because I'm sitting there <laughs> writing this, going, please let somebody get this. I'm so proud of this sentence. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here going, I'm the god of prose. And to have that reflected back, that it's done exactly. Uh, and, and the hints as well—that's uh, particularly gratifying. I think what you're always doing as a writer is you—you uh, want it to not come at, uh, completely left field. So you have to give—you have to be working this stuff in, but not in such a way that on page three they're going, "Oh, she's going to be Castellan, isn't she?" <laughs> so uh, really, I'm sitting here like I'm sort of preening like a cat licking its whiskers at this point. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I, I loved that image. I was very proud of that. It—it uh, it, it, it moved me quite a bit um, writing that because I felt it was a sort of the darkness is passing for Cardassia. There are better times coming and genuinely good times and
2: happy mm-hmm. times
1: and guilt-free times. So I'm thrilled that you've picked that bit out. Very, very thrilled. Thank you.
2: Oh, well, well, thank you. I mean, like, it's just, it's a beautiful image. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I had to stick a, a bookmark in there and and mark exactly where that was because I was like, oh, Yes. I think i figured it out yes, and, then, and you had <laughs> yeah. sure enough next chapter i'm like <"S-> yes, <laughs> yes I
1: and that's the other thing you want to do as a novelist you want i want you at some point to go yes i have got this before she tells me so I, I want you to feel good about reading the book that you've um you know you've got my hints and that you've you've been rewarded you can go yes i am a smart reader so <laughs> And indeed you were. So you you should feel good about reading the book. Yeah.
0: Just so people we know very hard. He, he's yeah. patting his back, literally. Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I'm licking my whiskers and he's patting his back. It's
0: the- right before we start recording, before Una joined us, he was talking to me about, you know, oh I love this part and I had to bookmark it. So we got to that. So, you know, and I I like the idea that, you know, there's little hints throughout and maybe we haven't always picked up on those hints, but that's what makes it fun to go back and reread because once you know what's going to happen, then you pick up on those and the, oh, why didn't I see that before or whatever? You know, that's, I I always enjoy that when it comes to I hope it
1: stands up to rereading. I really hope it does. I hope this is fun in it. We're going to have
0: to try to do that. We're going to have to try to reread it and see. So one of the things I want to touch on, Mm. you know, you can't think of Garrick without Bashir. And yep. Bashir is kind of woven a little bit throughout the book here and there, but there isn't a whole lot for him to do because now I'm, we're, we're spoilers on this book, but this is also spoilers on mm. section 31 control. So if anybody hasn't read that book, maybe you want to stop now <laughs> listening to this. Yeah,
1: And you want to read that book before you read this book, I think And mm-hmm. read it anyway. Cause yeah, it's perfect. brilliant. That's
0: a good yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what t- talk to us about working Bashir in this book? Cause you, You didn't have a lot to deal with with the character, Mm. but you had a lot to deal with the relationship between the two.
1: Yeah, this was really interesting because I I pitched a completely different book uh, and uh, I pitched a book where Bashir is fine and he comes to Cardassia and and he's almost in the uh, almost in the Pulaski uh, role here. Um, And then I got an email back from Margaret Clark saying, I'm really sorry, you've been macked. (laughs) <laughs> and oh, <no>. David Mack's <laughs> proposal for uh, control was just a you know a, a few weeks ahead of mine in the pile so I had to go off and kind of go all right okay well that's um that buggers my book <laughs> okay right, let's sort of think of what else I could do so um so I had to sort of turn it around and uh, uh David was just brilliant he sort of let me read control very very early on uh and sent me relevant bits and I thought okay well actually I think I can get it a much more emotional story out of this that um Bashir's absence gives uh Garrick the chance to grieve him and i think Bashir has been a very important figure in Garrick's life because he's the start of Garrick sort of going Bashir's just so good in a way you know it's sort of uncomplicatedly uh a man of a man of honor uh, and um uh, this affects Garrick uh and so to have to uh grieve his absence and find new sources to give Garrick that inspiration, that strength was quite a compelling story for me, I think. Uh, and um I think it makes Garrick um I, I liked the idea of putting Garrick in the role of having to be a healer in some way, in return, that it's it's now a gift that he has to he has to dig into himself and find a way to find the strength and the courage and the um, resources to spend time with Bashir, who, uh, if people have read Control, they know he's in a in a catatonic state, um, and has to find the resources to bring him back out. Uh, and Garrick has to dig quite deep for that. I think it'd be much easier for him to ig- ignore it and sort of be flippant about it sort to push it away. But he has to come back and um, try and bring Bashir back I think or or somebody has to do it and Garrick's on the spot um so I in a way ended up sort of losing my outline sort of made me dig a bit deeper and also I got to bring Pulaski in in that part and had a lot of fun with her so um so yeah that that's sort of where that came from I got macked
2: (laughs) you're not the first no I won't be the (laughs) last I don't think Uh, that was I mean a very beautiful part of the story and and that final scene with them together i mean they they just have such a touching beautiful relationship and uh yeah the the little tiny bit of payoff we get with just the barest little response from bashir i thought, like i was it's it's one of those things where you're
1: Scaric's not looking he's got his I nose in the book. i know can i <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's one of those things you're reading the book and and I'm reading it. I'm like, okay, I know that they won't resolve the Bashir thing in this novel because that's not what this novel is about. But that just that, even that little hint of a payoff at the end was like, I, I was, I was definitely, I was very moved by that. And, uh, Oh, Oh, Bashir, come back to us.
1: (laughs) Please. Um, it was, it was Dave, Dave Mack's idea to, uh, he sort of pinged me an email and said, Oh, I, 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 I'd, I'd forgotten about kookalaka and maybe you can work kookalaka in. So that was that was Dave's idea and it, uh, that was an absolute gift. Uh, that was brilliant. I think it was perfect. Um, I think that's really moving that the sort of touch or the feel or the smell of uh, your childhood toy would be the kind of thing that would be, begin to sort of trigger memory. And uh, poor old kookalaka, he's gone through the walls, hasn't he? So, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I think I think it's going to be a long journey and um, it's going to take patience on everyone's part to bring Bashir back, I think.
2: Well, I I think I speak for both of us when I say very impressed with this novel. I think it's uh, much like, yeah, uh, The Crimson Shadow, when it came out, for example, was was my absolute favorite Star Trek novel that year. And this one is is right up there on par with it. We we had no doubts. We had no doubts going into this. No. (laughs) We knew we were going to love this.
1: Oh, I had I had a lot of doubts. I've I've had a very busy time since I wrote Crimson Shadow. I've got, I've had a baby and been very busy. And you know, you have a small child; it it it's, uh, consumes your energies. And so I was a bit scared uh, uh, going back to Cardassia and whether I'd um, managed to, to find some of the magic. But I I think I I'm pleased with with a lot of what I did in this book. I think it it came together and um, I'm satisfied with it. And I, it's really nice to to get bits of it quoted back and you know to hear that it's worked for people. So thank you.
2: <laughs> so is uh is there anything coming up uh star trek wise or otherwise that you think our listeners should uh, be made aware of
1: um there's nothing star trek coming up yet I i hope there will be something because uh I, I i feel like there's another book uh, um those of you've read to the end of the book probably feel there's another book um after this one uh which is sort of forming in my head but uh nothing concrete yet Uh, I think the only thing I can talk about is um, I have a novella uh, coming out from Tor.com next year. And I'm very excited about this because um, I'm working again with Marco Palmieri, who people might remember was the editor of the um, Star Trek book range and indeed the man who gave me my first professional uh, commission. Um, So I'm working with Marco again on a, it's, um, uh, our, our sort of tagline for it is high plane, feminist high planes drifter in space so there you go that's that's high concept isn't it <laughs> so if you know <laughs> the Clint sounds really cool. West, I, I hope so i hope so i hope i haven't um, mispitched it uh so that's written uh that's with marco uh and i'm uh, waiting to hear back from him whether he likes it or not which i hope he does uh and then i'll either touch it up or uh, rewrite it completely and um that should be out next year but i think i think that's the only thing i've got some other things i'm working on but i don't think they've been announced but they will be soon. So, uh, oh, and I, I, for those of uh, the listeners who like Doctor Who, I've just got some um, stuff out with Big Finish. So that that came out. I've had a busy couple of months. Lots of stuff coming out. That's always nice. You work on something and then um, you don't think about it for months. I think I finished this book in um, November or something. Um, no, it must have been earlier than that. I can't, I can't remember now. Um, and, and then everything comes out and it's it's very exciting. So there's some Doctor Who stuff out. There's a novella coming and fingers crossed eventually more star trek because i do i do enjoy it
2: (laughs) excellent well i mean i think it's pretty clear we love it too so you know if we could get another cardassian epic story from you we we would be lining up to pick that up and of course
0: there's the whole lang quark romantic comedy novel. indeed
1: yes which i I practically promised now haven't i (laughs) get a, a shakespearean comedy of errors with quark lang Pulaski, and alden so uh you heard it here first <laughs>
2: that sounds exciting i look forward to many sumerian sunsets thrown in quark's face
1: <laughs> it's pretty much the book isn't it
2: <laughs> excellent well where can our uh, listeners find you online if they they want to keep up to date with uh what what's going on with your uh, writing world
1: Absolutely. On Twitter, where I'm just at Una McCormack. So uh, I I think uh, I don't have time to keep a a blog or a website updated these days. So that's definitely the place to find me. I'm usually um, complaining about what what I'm watching on the television. So uh, (laughs) if that sounds interesting, that's what I'm doing.
2: (laughs) Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us about Enigma Tales. And uh, we really look forward to having you on again uh, with the next whether it's a romantic comedy with Quark or or what have you. <laughs> It'd be really good
1: fun to do that. And thanks for reading the book and thanks for saying lovely things about it. It really, uh, really makes my day.
2: So very grateful. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Una. Oh, thank you for the book. Well, Dan,
0: I must say that I had a jolly good time talking to Una about this book. And it really is one of two things. Well, no, it's two of things, two things. It's, it's a variety of different things. It's, it's a fun, funny book. And it's also a serious dramatic book in a murder mystery all rolled into one. It's like, mm. I don't know. It's, it's like, like uh Skittles. There's like all kinds of flavors, but they're all come in one package.
2: Yeah, absolutely. One thing that she brought up in the interview that, that really resonated with me was this idea of, you know, having a story be about these really dark, really horrible things, but because it's science fiction, you're able to more uh, freely talk about it and 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 approach the subject with maybe a little bit more openness than you would otherwise and to me, I was thinking that's just that's the grand tradition of Star Trek, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know the best Star Trek episodes are the ones that talk about contemporary issues and and things that our society is facing but in the guise of science fiction. So, you know, you can maybe talk about things like the Vietnam War while it's going on where other shows can't because it's the science fiction world and it's not real and, and you can really talk about these issues. So, you know, just really carrying on the grand tradition of Star Trek. Well, it's been fun talking about Pulaski's shenanigans today. But it's not the only thing we've been discussing on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things that you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. After the captain's documentary, I think we all wish that there had been a piano in Cisco's quarters. And at some point in every episode, someone walked in and he was just over in the corner (laughs) rambling away. Warp 5. Warp 5. And there's a wipe from right to left in the screen. And you never see that on Star Trek. It completely pulls me out of the episode every time I see it.
0: Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Because I've, I've never, never noticed it before. Yeah, I didn't Ever. notice it. Ever! Now I'm going to see oh, it. Man. Okay. You just ruined the entire episode for everyone listening. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. The 602
2: Club. That's a really smart idea uh, because that's also something that, you know, Caesar sees is that we're not that different.
0: The ready room.
2: As with so many places, they, CBS and marketing the show and getting it out to as many eyeballs as possible. They're obviously wanting fans and armchair fans and maybe would be fans, genre fans who might give Star Trek a, t- but they're still trying to get out to the great unwashed and the mundane. And, and this is actually stretching the season out beyond 15 actual weeks.
0: And that's what else is happening on
2: Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an
0: Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. And if you're not an Apple user, that's okay. We've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. (sighs) <sighs> that's a lot to say, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
2: If you'd like to help us keep all of our shows coming to each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot slash trekfm to get all of the details. Perks can include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. As I'm sure you can imagine, it requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us, and we hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm.
0: We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways you can do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks. That will come right to us, and you can... Also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com TrekFM.
2: Unique for literary treks is our Goodreads group, where we have all the bookshelves with our previously covered books as well as what we're currently reading so that you know what is coming up for future shows. And also there are great conversations happening about the books and comics. Just go to goodreads.com and search for literary treks. Click join group and we'll let you right in. We'd also like to thank our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shamutala for their support of the Trek FM network, and specifically for being associate producers for literary treks. Now, Bruce, when you're not attending an art gallery exhibition of Bajoran and Cardassian art in East Tor, where can we find you?
0: Oh, I love the art. It's fantastical. But you can also follow me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, You can hear me talking Star Wars on the Star Wars Report podcast, which is at StarWarsReport.com. And, of course, you can find me in the Babel Conference. And, Dan, when you're not feeling all romantic reading a romance novel between
2: Lang and Quark, where can people find you? (laughs) There's so many drinks getting thrown in Quark's face. You know, I'm kind of loving this but when i'm not reading that you can find me on twitter i'm at kurtrats that's k-e-r-t-r-a-t-s you can find me on youtube.com slash kurtrats productions talking about all aspects of the star trek universe including episodes books and the latest news from star trek discovery you can find me on facebook tooling around the babel conference talking about star trek as usual and on facebook.com slash kurtrats productions well thank you all so much for listening And until next time, live long and read on.
1: You call that light reading? To each
2: his own, number one.